Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. My name is Michael Bradley, I'm your host, and this is a show where normally each episode we talk about Superman and Batman team-ups from throughout the years, with those team-ups being mostly chosen at random from the pages of World's Finest Comics. And this episode's no different, but before we get into what issue we'll be covering, I am once again joined by a very special guest. So it is my great pleasure to welcome to the show, straight from the Bronze Age, Mr. Charlie Niemeyer. I am very special. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, how you doing? Charlie has been podcasting really longer than I have. He started his show, Superman in the Bronze Age, about a month and a half before... I launched The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, but we have podcasted together several times because, as, as people who listen to that show might remember, Charlie was a semi-regular guest when we looked at episodes of the radio show, yeah. uh, but we never did get to the episodes with Batman, unfortunately. Oh, well, unfortunately. Uh, but, but as I said, Charlie is host of Superman in the Bronze Age, so it might seem odd to have Charlie on for this episode since we'll be looking at a Silver Age issue, and a very early Silver Age issue at that. But don't worry, folks, because it will all become clear, he said very (laughs) mysteriously. (laughs) So, this episode, we are looking at World's Finest Comics, number 98, which, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, was released on or around October 16th, 1958. The issue was edited by Jack Schiff and has a December 1958 cover date, and a price of 10 whole cents. The cover was penciled by Kurt Swan and inked by either Ray Burnley or Stan Kay, and to my estimation, is a really awesome cover. Uh, Charlie, why don't you describe the cover for the folks? Okay, well, it's uh, it's nighttime. Uh, uh, I'm assuming it's Gotham, but it could be Metropolis or any nondescript city. And a strange man named the Moon Man who his name is hyphenated for the cover, uh, is attacking the world's finest team. He's using his magnetic power to cause Batman and Robin to be repelled from him while Superman kneels down in weakness. It's actually really cool. Yes. I love this cover. Um, I I think all the characters look great. Even Moon Man, who has a fairly ridiculous costume. And then you've got that deep blue sky that makes them all pop, and it's, it's, it just looks really vibrant. It's sweet of you to call it somewhat ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> For 1958, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's you know. not bad. It, it's kind of a combination of like the Golden Age Adam and Martian yeah. Manhunter with Robin's booties and yeah. green and orange just thrown up all over him. Yeah. For <clears> those <throat> who don't have the uh, a color copy of the cover – accessible the costume is your kind of your typical you know spandex like superheroes wore at that time and he's got orange leggings yellow booties that that are styled like robins as charlie said green trunks a thick yellow belt with three buckles that as charlie pointed out before we started recording serve no purpose whatsoever (laughs) and then the the shirt part is green with yellow from about his I guess the middle of his uh, forearm forearm, yeah down to his wrist his hands are open or you know, there's no gloves or anything over his chest are two orange thick orange stripes and then right in the center of his chest 
about the size of a basketball is a giant yellow moon. And then he's got an orange cape and a green cowl with a uh, crescent moon on the forehead and, and goggles. So it's... Uh, it looks very put together. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. But anyway. it, looks, it looks like he stole and died of the Golden Age Adam's c- costume mm-hmm. and Doc Midnight's cowl. Yes. And then... And then one of Robin's a pair of Robin's booties, boots. And, and, and I guess di- we should call. And dyed them the most bizarre color combination possible. <laughs> well, you have to admit, at least he sticks with it. So I guess yeah, can't fault him too much for that. Yeah, better than Baron Blitzkrieg. Oh, okay. There is a worse costume out there. <laughs> yes, touche. <laughs> yes. Now, something else I noticed, and you've done some comic book coloring so you'll I know you'll appreciate this mm-hmm. but note how the building in the background goes up the left side but then tapers off and stretches only across the bottom and that makes yes. the background behind Superman black which helps him pop off more than he would against the blue and that's I think that's important because he, he would more easily get lost in that blue sky if it very much all so. the way down that's a very good point yes I kind of wish it went a little higher to get Batman, but then Batman's got the black on his mask, which would have been lost in the black building. So yeah. I guess it makes sense. Yeah. So turning inside, we've got a 12-page story that was written by Bill Finger, penciled by Dick Sprang, and inked by Stan Kay. He called himself the Moon Man because he only struck under the light of the moon. And when dawn came, the Moon Man vanished as if shunning exposure to the sun's glaring eye. Where he came from, where he got his fantastic powers, no one knew. For, like the moon, he was an unsolved mystery. And is the moon really an unsolved mystery? I mean, it's a big rock in the sky. I don't... What else do you need to know? Well, well it, was, it was the 50s. They thought it was made of cheese. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But even the combined forces of the great crime-fighting trio, Superman, Batman, and Robin, the Boy Wonder seemed helpless against the menace of the Moon Man. As we begin, Batman and Robin escort a pilot named Rogers to a top-secret space flight. And remember, this is 1958, so no humans have been in the space yet, and that's important to keep in mind, or this story gets really silly really fast. <laughs> yes. Anyway, anyway, the plan is for Rogers to board a rocket, which Superman will throw into space... Rogers will then orbit the moon and then use the ship's fuel tanks to break orbit and return to Earth. Everything goes to plan, and Rogers is taken away for testing, though Superman does notice a strange green comet that passed by while Rogers was in orbit. Later that night, Superman, Batman, and Robin are guests of honor at an exhibit of historic vehicles when the show is attacked by a guy calling himself the Moon Man, who wields a strange magnetic force from his fingertips. In addition to letting the Moon Man hurl a car at Batman and Robin, the Force weakens Superman, which allows the Moon Man to steal an ancient chariot and escape. The next day, Roger sees a report about the Moon Man in the newspaper and is doubly shocked when he finds the Moon Man's chariot and costume in his garage. The world's finest investigate, surmising that the Moon Man must have just left the stuff there, assuming Rogers was on vacation or something. Superman, Batman, and Robin lay in wait, hoping to catch the Moon Man when he returns. But as night falls, a shaft of light falls across Rogers, causing him to glow green and transform into the Moon Man. 
know. Shocking, right? I did not see that coming. Rogers uses his powers to hold off the world's finest, and then suits up and goes to steal a moonstone from the forehead of an idol at a museum. Superman and Batman try to stop him, but the Moon Man creates a tidal wave, which leads to a really great scene of Superman being completely awesome by squelching the wave. The Moon Man retreats to a waterfront hideout to get some rest, but as the sun rises the next morning, he awakens as Rogers, with absolutely no memory of the previous night or why he's wearing such a bizarre getup. His ignorance is short-lived, however, as he overhears a couple dock workers talking about how some guy named Rogers became the Moon Man. After breaking down about his crimes and swearing to turn himself in, Rogers tries to hail Batman and Robin, who are out on patrol and conveniently passing by the dock at just that moment. But he's grabbed by a couple thugs who plan to hold him hostage until he turns into the Moon Man again and then use him to pull some heists. That night... Batman and Robin confront the Moon Man and the thugs at the opening of a new Moon Room at the Science Museum. The dynamic duo try their best, but the Moon Man uses his powers to force a huge model of the Moon, with Batman and Robin atop it, into the sky. Superman rockets after it and is able to save his friends, but the Moon Man again makes an escape. The next morning, Rogers awakens and is ashamed of what he's done. But as night falls, the Moon Man rises once more. Later, the thugs attempt to steal a blimp, shaped like a space station. The Moon Man brings it down, but the thugs are surprised when the world's finest emerge from inside. And they're further surprised when the Moon Man turns, delivering a haymaker square to the thug's jaw. Robin makes a pun, and he, Superman, Batman, and the Moon Man make quick work of the thugs, stringing them up for the quickly arriving police. Later, in a John Byrne-esque end-of-story info dump, we learned that Rogers had turned himself in earlier that morning. The world's finest had run some tests and discovered the comet's effects were only temporary. So they used fluorescent paint and some superpowered trickery to fool the thugs. And now, the Moon Man will never again menace the world. The end. Aww. So do you have any general comments about this before we get into the page? page? You, know, you know, I do. Um, I really like Dick Spring's art. Mm-hmm. I, I do have to say, though, you could definitely tell he's using the Wayne Boring art guide on Superman because <laughs> I think he's used just about every pose in the book in this one 12-page story, including my favorites are – let's see. Where was it? Pay, uh, the fifth panel of page six with that weird – kick your leg out as I take off sideways kind of mm-hmm. flight thing. That was a very boring-esque. Yeah, and then um, the, the way he does the twirl around the water to take out the tidal wave on page 7 with his arms out and everything. Right. And on page 10, the running flying pose. Yes. On the pan- third panel. It just was... Oh, definitely, yeah. It's all very, very Wayne boring. Yeah, the... The running slash flying was was kind of a, a Wayne boring staple, especially as he got into the fifties. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it always struck me as weird. It's like Superman's just kind of running in place yeah. in the sky. Okay, <laughs> but other than that, um, I thought it was a really fun story. And if I was a little kid, I would have loved this thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, I thought it was great. R- really, up until the last maybe two panels or so. And I don't have a problem with the effects being temporary. I just would have liked 
a little more explanation or, or a little better explanation about how Rogers escaped from the thug so he could go turn himself in and exactly why he didn't do it earlier. Um, I, I, yeah. I would have been okay even if had Superman and Batman not been in on you know him coming to the good side, so to speak. Uh, Rogers turns on the thugs and you know takes care of the problem. I mean, yeah, that would have put less of the hero part on Superman and Batman, but I think it would have made for a less plot hole filled ending. But still, overall, it was it was a pretty fun one given the era. Oh yeah, I think he, he must have called them on his cell phone and they saved him <laughs> on his, his moon phone. You mean? His, yes, sorry, yes, his moon phone. <laughs> that that's the only way that I can think of. Because that makes the only... I don't want to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as for the page-by-page, my first note comes on page one. And, I, you know, this is one of those stories where having the showcase volume is fantastic. Because the black and white art really shows off Dick Sprang's line work. And the amount of detail and and, uh, line work on the splash page is just incredible. Yeah, that is some pretty good line work on that uh, chariot. The yeah. way the, with the design of the bridles, mm-hmm. those are called bridles, right? <laughs> I don't know horses. Yeah, I, don't I think either. those are bridles. And then the, the whatever's hooking them to the actual chariot, it's really awesome. It's it's own. I've got well, I've got. We'll say it. I've got the color version. Okay. And um, unfortunately, the color isn't quite as good with the details, so it's all the same color. Hmm. Except for the bridle part, it's orange, and the chariot's all kind of grayish. So it does kind of – I can see why the black and white would be much better. My notes start on page two. Uh, first of all, with the first – I had to laugh right at the first panel. <laughs> um, Batman walks up with the with Mr. Rogers – or Pilot Rogers. Oh, he sorry. is Mr. Rogers, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> hmm. And uh, he, they say, we drove him all the way through back roads so no one could see him. But he's in the Batmobile, which really isn't all that inconspicuous, mm. regardless of what version of the Batmobile you're driving. And it's completely enclosed at this point, because it's before the 66 series. Right. So they wouldn't have seen him, but it's the Batmobile. Right. <laughs> Even if you're on a back road, someone seeing the Batmobile is going to be like, ooh, wonder what's going on, and turn around maybe and follow him. <sighs> that, and how did they hide that rocket in the quote-unquote secluded spot? You know, <laughs> really tall trees. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's got to be it. <laughs> that's, that's all I got for that page. Well, my note here was sort of just um, the setup here is that Superman and Batman are helping the government complete the first manned mission to space and just to give some perspective I jotted down some key space related dates in comparison to when the story was published mm-hmm. again just to give context um, in this you know 2014 when we've been to space and the moon many times um, October 4th 1957 is when Sputnik was launched and Sputnik 2, with Leica, who was the first animal in space, was launched a little over a year later on November 7, 1957. And then this story was published October 16th of 58. So basically two years after Sputnik. Oh, okay. And, and then first, so Rogers would have been – well, I guess they say it's the first man's rocket, so right. first human in space. Right. And then um, – 
September 13, 1959 was the Soviet Union's Luna 2 mission, which was the first man-made object to land on the moon. And then a couple years after that, we had Yuri Gagarin, who, or, yeah, Yuri Gagarin, who was the first human in space. And then August 8, 1961, there were a quartet of Americans who were launched into space. Um, but they were exposed to cosmic rays, and I'm not <laughs> sure what became of them, but I'm sure it was pretty fantastic. Oh, uh, that took me a second. Yeah. It's <laughs> a long like, way to go for a joke. Yeah, it yeah. was, but yeah. that was pretty good. That was really good. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's it's interesting to look at these stories in light of the fact that, you know, it's 1958. Hal Jordan and the Silver Age Hawkman hadn't debuted yet, but we have Superman, who's an alien, Martian Manhunter was around. He's an alien. So from the context of the people in the story, they know aliens exist, and they know aliens have traveled to Earth, but yet the people on Earth haven't gone into orbit yet. And then in the real world, you know, putting a man into space, they were working on it, but it's still two years away. So while this seems kind of silly to us in 2014, in 1958 it was very much the definition of science fiction. Wow, it's hard to it's hard to think of it that way though. Yeah, just because it's well, fifty been, years later. Yeah, yeah, fifty, sixty years later, almost. Yeah. Jeez, but yeah, you can bring up a good point. Wow. Uh, page three, Superman. When the Moon Man appears, Superman says the Moon Man is quote another cheap crook trying to make a name for himself, and I just, I love that because it makes me think that you know Superman and Batman started you know fighting thugs and crooks as they did. And then slowly the costume guys started showing up, most of them being kind of lame. And now when Superman sees one in costume, he just thinks it's another street crook. <laughs> That's awesome. I like that too because if you look at what they're saying, they're going to stop him before he can get his crime career started. Uh-huh. Uh, but theoretically, doesn't he have to steal something before he has a crime career? Therefore, they have no reason to arrest him technically yet. I, I think just wearing that costume is, a, is another crime <laughs> to uh... – yeah, good point. All that orange and green should never be worn at the same time. Not, No, ever. Never. No, no. Uh, page four. This is the second story in a row, and I know you haven't heard um, the past couple episodes, but this is the second story in a row from this era where someone or something like Kryptonite has hindered Superman, and I really hope that's not going to be a thing with stories from around this time. I mean, I, I know it's used a lot in this era, but I could do without it. Yeah, but on the other hand, I think the editor was what you said, Jack Schiff. Yes, who was a Batman Is that guy. What I, said? I hope so. <laughs> Scrolling up my notes, you uh, think I could remember fifteen minutes ago? But well, you yes. think I could too, Jack okay. Schiff. So he's a Batman guy. It was written by Bob Bob Finger, by Bill Finger, Batman guy, drawn by Dick Sprang, Batman guy. Right. So it makes sense that they would do stuff to kind of make. Batman more front and center, I guess. Yeah. Plus, you have to do that to give Batman and Robin a chance. Otherwise, Superman can just do everything with just super speed flight or something. Hmm. Fair enough. And you actually bring up a good point of something I need to start doing on the show, especially with the Silver Age stuff. I did it for the very first episode, but I haven't been good about continuing it. And and looking at um, who the creators were working on at that time. You know, like you said, oh, you know, okay. Schiff and Bill Finger were primarily Batman guys, and Dick Sprang was a primarily a Batman guy. Yeah, because I've read 
I've read what the Krypton Chronicle, I think it's called, that um, when Mort Weisinger takes over the title mm-hmm. in the '60s, it becomes a decidedly more Batman book, or yes. I'm sorry, Bat- more Superman book. Is what I meant to say. Well, Kurt Swan becomes the penciler. Yeah, Kurt thing. Swan's penciling, and then all the Superman elements come into the title. Right. You get more Jimmy Olsen. Uh, Great. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so the, I actually don't, don't mind Jimmy Olsen. He he just bugs me in the world's finest stories. Yeah, I can understand. He's no Robin. Mm. Don't forget Robin. Don't forget Robin. Uh, All right. So, oh, no, another note I had for page four was again. Just look at the detail on this page: the chariot, the landscape, the water. It's mm-hmm. all highly detailed, but it's still a very clean and, and readable page. Yes. Yes. And I love the Batman stunt here. It looks – it's beautifully rendered mm-hmm. for this version of Batman. Even if it's completely implausible physics-wise. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, <laughs> he turned it to a pancake and stuff, but it looks pretty. Oh, yeah. It looks great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, page five, Batman's a moron. And he, he, <laughs> he finds the chariot in the costume, and his first thought is that the moon man just left them there? Yeah, of course. I want to know what happened to the horses. That's a good point. Because I thought they were fake horses at first. And then I realized that they're changing in every panel. So obviously they're real horses, but there's no horses in the garage. That's a very good point. I didn't even think about that. So, yeah, I just thought about it while you were synopsizing. I was like, hey, wait a minute. I also like the, the idea of Superman, Batman, and Robin kneeling behind a car hiding Yes, waiting and, for and the Superman. man to come back. Yeah, yeah. All, throughout the day. <laughs> right. They didn't go out and f- do any crime fighting or anything during the day. They waited all day in this one guy's garage. On the chance, <laughs> slight chance, the moon man might come back. For his retrieve stuff. Retrieve the chariot that he stole. And, and left there because he was out. Right. Rogers was out, you know, <laughs> as you do. Hmm. Uh, page seven. Superman stopping the tidal wave is completely awesome. And and really, these kinds of stunts are rarer than you might think. I mean, often Superman's stunts are smaller scale, like throwing a car or lifting something heavy, or they go completely off scale with some completely unfeasible stunt, like, I'm going to move the moon now, or, you know. <laughs> I'm going to put out a fire by squeezing water out of a rock. Yes. Uh, you had something for page eight? I do, but actually, you know, I apologize. I realized that I wanted to go uh, that I, I haven't written, I hadn't written it down, but I remembered something I wanted to note for page six. All right. Um, I love the fact that, and you can tell this is the Silver Age, and this is the kind of way that the criminals worked back then. Is they go to they they lose Moon Man because they weren't able to stop him in the garage. And so Superman has a hunch that he'd go after the precious moonstone at the museum nearby because he's Moon Man. Well, makes sense to me. In well, yeah, but nineteen fifty-eight <laughs> comic book terms. Yeah, no, it because uh, it's he's got to it, it's his um, mo. He's got to do moon-based crimes. Two Face does twos. Joker does something funny. I guess we should just be glad he's not, you know, walking mooning the people. Park, mooning people. Yeah. yeah. They, oh, that would actually be kind of funny. 
He would now. He would. <laughs> That's the new 52 Moon Man, everybody. That's he walks through the park and just moons everybody. Don't, don't give him ideas. Don't give him ideas. <laughs> uh, but anyway, mo- uh, moving up to my actual next note in, on page eight. Uh, so, is it page eight? No, it's actually page seven. Later, Just later on page seven than you. They revealed his secret identity to the press. Well, yeah. What's up with that? Well, <laughs> that means a- if, they, if they save him, they can't, then um, he can't return to normal life because everyone knows he used to be a superpowered criminal. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Used to be they would try to protect his identity so that he so that you know he could still have a normal life, or yeah. I, normal yeah, as a that. super pilot person thing. But yeah, it's just kind of he really deserves it for wearing that costume. <laughs> <I think. laughs> yes, you'll notice, of course, his cowl is now turned yellow in the book. Well, I'm looking at the black and white version. Oh, so you wouldn't notice that his in, inside the book, his cowl is yellow. Well, that's even worse. Yes. And uh, that part, um, on, okay, on the cover, it looks like he's just wearing the two orange straps under the moon. Uh-huh. It turns out that's actually part of the design of the shirt. It's actually all black from the moon down inside the orange straps. Hmm. So it's a design, like a moonbeam or okay. something. Okay. Well, then I can allow that. Yeah. Th- th- I, that's, that doesn't bother me as much as the straps. Yeah. yeah the rest of the co- – oh, and his boots – no, he's still got the ugly Does he have real boots? Or... No, he's still well, got... sometimes they color it wrong, and he does have real boots. Oh. Sometimes it's inconsistent. There's, I can see here on page three where he's got the booties, but page four when he's on the chariot sending Batman away, he's wearing full-on boots. Um, I think this – okay, Stan K does those lines on the shin area, mm-hmm. and – there are some cases where the whoever's coloring it thinks that those lines are the boot tops is the oh, problem. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, page eight. At this point, I really started to feel sorry for Rogers because, I mean, he's clearly upset about what he's done and, and wants to turn himself in. But these these guys just want to, you know, take him hostage and then, and then they lie to him once he's changed back. and. <laughs> Well, he becomes a victim at that point. Pretty much. Yeah, it's kind of terrible. I mean, it makes sense that they would do that, though. Well, yeah, because they're thugs. Well, yeah. I, I do like that one of them has – <laughs> I do like that the one does have the I just went to prison striped shirt, although it is red now that I think about it. But And then the other so one's got the <laughs> – Found him. And then the other guy's got that newspaper newsboy hat because mm-hmm. all thugs do, oh, yeah. and they all have the and both of them have the Popeye mouth with the. They only use one one corner of the mouth opens up. Is it all? Uh, it's great. Page nine is my next note. That moon is beautiful. Yeah, the coloring on this version is pink. So, eh. but. The the detail, the way it's shaded, and you have to give some credit to Stan K here because or whoever inked it, but it just it looks almost photorealistic with some of those craters. Mm-hmm. The way they have the shading and stuff. And really, it's entirely possible that Sprang just drew a circle 
and the inker had to do all the texture on that. That is possible. So I, I don't know exactly who to give the credit to, but whoever did it, did it on multiple panels mm-hmm. and is just looks beautiful. I really give credit to whoever is supposed to have it. And yet, despite all that texture, the characters don't get lost in it. Oh, no, not at all. Because like in the, uh, I guess it would be the one, two, fourth panel. The one that's kind of like right in the center of the page with the diagonal. Oh, okay. You know, you can still see Batman swinging in and Super, mm-hmm. the Moon Man flying off. And then in the bottom panel, you can see a lot of action within the craters, but it's still detailed in the background. It's just really good. I really hope they had this thing blown up when they drew it because I can't imagine trying to draw these guys that small. Yeah, no. Jeez. It does give you the the scale, though, the sense of the size of this moon thing. The only problem I have with it is that apparently they were using real silver and real gold in this museum piece. Yeah. Really? Seems a bit <laughs> questionable, but... Makes me want to go to a museum in the 50s. <laughs> Get that time machine working, and uh, I'm I'm working on it. It's right now. It's just a phone booth, but I'm hoping mm. that once I get the light put on the top, it'll start You'll making bring that. Back, uh, George Carlin. <gasps> yes, I'll just bring him back before he died. That you can do that too. Yeah, that's easier. It's during um, his groovy weatherman face, hippie hippie dippy weatherman face. <laughs> Page eleven. Uh, did you have anything for ten? I'm sorry. Oh no, I do not. Okay. Page eleven. I absolutely love this scene with the Moon Man, and when he when he punches the guy, I mean, he could have just made a pun and hit him, or or just punched him without saying anything. But instead, you know, the thug is like, Moon Man, use your force to knock him out. And the Moon Man replies, Very well. I raise my left hand like this, and but with the only force I've got is a left hook. And he just uppercuts the guy, and <laughs> I just, I just loved it because it let them do a comedic beat in an action scene without resorting to a pun. Yes. That's awesome. I mean, Robin and, still makes a pun. Well, of course. Unfortunately, but... Space travel is here, and you're flying! <sighs> I do have to note, though, and I forgot to mention this on my overall notes, and I don't know how much of it is finger, how much of it is spraying, but they do a very good job of be- of staying consistent with one arm being the re- repulsive force and one arm being the attractive force. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, the um, the let's see, the right hand apparently is the attractive one, so it pulls it pulls things towards him, and the right hand or the left hand is the one that repels. Cool. They do a pretty good job of staying consistent with that throughout the story. Very nice. Except when when Batman gets knocked off that chariot. Mm. Screw, ah, uh, damn. Maybe they, maybe they flipped it at that point. That's it. That's it. We'll, we'll go with that. Yeah. Hmm. Hopefully. Very cool. Um, page 12, you know, we get to the ending, which is nice and tidy, but like I said earlier, kind of a letdown. Um, I, I don't have a problem with the effects being temporary. I just want more explanation about how Rogers escaped from the thugs so he could turn himself in. And, you know. Yeah, that would have been pretty nice. But overall, this one was just a whole lot of fun. And, you know, Superman and Batman both got their moments. And the Moon Man is... He, he's goofy, but a very comic booky villain, especially for this era. And like we've talked about, the art is just absolutely fantastic. And surprisingly, he really only appears this one time. Oh, unfortunately. Because well, the, the effects so were much. temporary. And, the, you know, the comet passed by and never yeah. would pass by again. 
ever. No, no, no. Not a kryptonite co- comment. No, <laughs> never. <sighs> On the plus side, they, they, I'm, this ad afterwards really makes me want a Tootsie Roll. You probably don't have it in the showcase. No, they cut the ads out in the showcase volume. Uh, it's a it's it's a football scene and they're animals, but they're playing football and the football is a Tootsie Roll. It's a chocolatey treat that can't be beaten because the fun is in the eaten. And I can't make that up. I think that's a good point to go to a promo. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good to me. Did, did you have anything else on the story? Uh, no, that was all for my notes. Okay. Well, we'll we're going to take a break, maybe eat a Tootsie Roll, play a couple promos, and then we'll be back for the other features in the book and what else was on the stands. Awesome. One man, inspired by the greatest superhero the world has ever known, and yet haunted by his own past, vows to clean up the mess that he inadvertently caused so many years ago. Hi, this is Matthew Apps, and I am the host of a brand new podcast covering John Henry Irons called The Armored Hero Steel, a John Henry Irons podcast. Check it out every month at www.thefanofsteel.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Holy nightmare! So we all know who Robin is, right? Short pants bad holy insert object gear jokes kind of weird relationship with an older man who dresses like a bat i know right so not what batman needs thing is if that's your impression of robin then you don't know robin i'm tom panneries and for most of my comic collecting career i've been a teen titans fan moreover i've been a huge fan of robin and nightwing so I've decided to take a look at those who have worn the costume in a podcast miniseries called Taking Flight. Taking Flight focuses on the life and career of Dick Grayson as he evolved from Boy Wonder to Nightwing. I'll take a look at his origin story, his time with the Teen Titans, and his evolution into Nightwing. Along the way, I'll also look at Jason Todd and Tim Drake, stopping right after Zero Hour when Dick left the Titans behind. Episodes will come out just about every week at takingflight.podomatic.com, and you can find show notes at popcultureaffidavit.com. Join me as I take a look at Comic Dumb's most famous sidekick, who is a vital part of Batman's mythos. If you would like to read this, it's been reprinted uh, two or three times. First in Super Team Family Number 4 from 1976, World's Finest Comics Archives, Volume 2, and Showcase Presents, World's Finest, Volume 1. And it was also covered on Episode 256 of Billy Hogan's Superman Fan Podcast. So check that out to hear Billy's thoughts. It also received something of a sequel in the Bronze Age. So see why Charlie's here? And that happened in World's Finest Comics, number 266. So, Charlie, can you give us like a two-sentence recap of what happened there? Yes. Um, a, 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 stars, a Star Lab scientist, female, uh, gains the same powers as Moon Man and becomes Lady Luna. And then the world's finest team have to take her down. They're slightly smarter this time and no Robin. Aww. 
pocket for better story, to be honest with you. Yeah, a little bit. There's some suburbs stuff, and um, that's not as exciting. But and the costume is made of the same garish colors. <sighs> but Moonman's costume in a couple scene, couple flashback panels actually gets a redesign because I believe the artist was Rich Buckler. Cool. Yeah. That's I'm not going to say that's better than Dick Sprang or worse than Dick Sprang, but still, for, no, you know, for the era, it's, it's very much on par. Yeah, I can only imagine that what the Moon Man costume would have looked like if Rich Buckler had just drawn this one. But yeah, because I, I remember after I read that and did the episode, I actually went back to look at this and I was like, wow, they really changed the costume. And you, you covered that on your show, right? Yes, sir. What episode was that? Do you remember? It's a good question. I do not know. Okay. I'll look <laughs> it up and meant to look something. it up. Okay. I meant it's to look it up and back, I forgot. Probably yeah. Like it was a couple years ago. A couple years. I was still doing my theme months. Mm. It's the only uh, only issue of World's Finest I actually managed to cover after the after sup- they stopped the Superman team-ups. <sighs> okay. Anyway, other features. You know, leaving it free for you because I knew you were going to do something like this in the future. You you knew way back then that I was going to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. We, we will eventually cover it here at some point down the road, but uh, whenever it comes up in the random rotation. But be sure to check out uh, Superman in the Bronze Age, whatever episode that was, and I'll, I'll either insert something in the episode here. Hey, you dunderheads. It was episode 53 of Superman in the Bronze Age. Way to be prepared, Mr. Professional Podcasters. Sigh. And yeah, I'm completely stealing this gag from Sean Angle. But, you know what they say. We all just want to be big rock stars, live in hilltop houses, driving 15 cars. Wait. That doesn't make any sense. Hey look over there. A new episode of Just One of the Guys. Be sure to check it out because Charlie does an awesome show. Oh, thank Uh, you. But other features in this issue include a six-page tomahawk story illustrated by Fred Ray entitled The Strange Hero of Fort Mascot. And there's also a six-page Green Arrow story by France Heron and Jack Kirby titled The Unmasked Archers. And it's a completely ridiculous story. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's Jack Kirby art. You know? It's, unfortunately, it's mm-hmm. earlier Jack Kirby art. Yeah. So you can see glimpses of his, I guess you could call it his Marvel Dim or his 70s DC stuff. But overall, it's just a little. Actually, in a lot of places, it's kind of sketchy. It's like he's still learning. Yeah, but even even Kirby can't help this story. I don't think. Well, no. Have you have you read it? Not yet. Basically, what happens is that Green Arrow, Oliver Queen, sees a front page story that reveals his and Speedy's identities. So he goes to the police commissioner, and this was kind of back when Green Arrow was still treated exactly like Batman. You know. Oh yeah. Batman clone. He, he goes to the police commissioner, and he's greeted as Green Arrow. They take off their masks in front of the commissioner, and the commissioner refuses to believe that Oliver is Green Arrow. <laughs> and the masks are pointless. Yes. These masks are the smallest, skinniest little things I've ever seen. Yes. And then okay. the resolution is, is even worse. But we'll <laughs> You'll have to for- read it to find out, folks. Yeah, we'll save that for the Green Arrow podcast. And I won't mention the fact that Roy Harper looks like a small 85-year-old in some of these panels. 
Whose fault would that be? Uh, the inker, I'm the, sure. The artist. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, but anyway, now it's time to look at the ads. Yay! And, and you didn't 50s ads. It, you didn't hear it off mic, but or off, when we took our break, but Charlie was very fond of some of the ads. Um, the inside front cover is for um, inflatable dinosaurs. You can buy seven of them. Seven of them for one dollar, up to four feet tall. And I'm calling BS on this right now. <laughs> well, okay. I'm sure that they're four feet tall. If you can get any, the air to stay in them. True. Thrilling excitement for everyone with this giant-sized collection of prehistoric dinosaurs at this low, low price of just $1, plus post. Thrilled to their fascinating names. Command these fun-loving prehistoric monsters to your every prank. Toss them in the air, and they always land on their feet, swinging uh-huh. and swaying in every direction without tilting over. Great for children. Terrific for, for parties. Colossal for adults. So order right now for stupendous fun. Fill out the coupon below. You take no risk because you must agree that these giant dinosaurs are everything we say or your money promptly refunded. Uh, That's a dollar plus 25 cents for postage. So what would happen if I sent this in? (laughs) You know, there's no expiration date on it. That's right. Giant dinosaurs, department B-6412, Carl Place, Long Island. Yeah, I'm sure that would still go to a special place. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, that would actually be funny to see, just see what the uh, response would be uh, from so the, the post office in Long Island. Like, what the heck are you talking about? Seven giant dinosaurs? What? Uh, I don't even know if some of these dinosaurs are still called these things. Probably not. The Ceratosaurus. Oh, the, I'm sure Sea Serpent. I'm sure that's a real scientific name. <laughs> that's the Latin. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. The Trachodon, the Tyrannosaurus Rex, the Armored, that one, the Prosaurolophus, and the Allosaurus. That Armored one sounds like some sort of venereal disease. (laughs) Demethus? Demethus. Demethus? I I got the Armored Demethus. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Uh, Uh, Next up is the Tootsie Roll ad, which Charlie talked about earlier. And then we've got an ad for Blackhawk, which was... Sorry, it says that on the ad. Haka! Operation Blackhawks. That's the. Oh, I'm sorry. Haka! That's the ringing cry that summons the bold Blackhawks to daring action. And once again, the world's mightiest team blasts off to b- battle bizarre foes on land, on sea, on the. or in the air! All of this to promote a story called the Rainbow Blackhawks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They got different color costumes: green, red, yellow. Okay, and the the guy against them looks like um, Lex Luthor. He does. Well, he's bald, so he must be evil. He's bald, and he's wearing a lab outfit, lab coat. Looks like kind of a Silver Age version of Luthor, I guess, with mm-hmm. his lab coat. Maybe lab. a little skinnier, because Luthor was usually heavy, not like yeah, he had a, fat, he had a bit heavier. of a he had a bit of chin. Um, and next up is a Henry Boltonoff gag strip called Dexter. And Charlie and I have decided to reenact this for your listening pleasure. <laughs> uh, the setup is it's, it's a man and his wife. So Charlie is going to play the wife. Okay. Yay. Okay, so... Or I can play the wife. It doesn't matter. I got it. I got okay. it. So the idea is, uh, is it's a couple at home. Dexter's obviously would be the husband. Right. And the wife has no name. And he's sitting watching his black and white television, 
and his wife comes up wearing a costume that makes her look like Alice from uh, Brady Bunch. And she says, Dexter, call a plumber. Hurry. Why? What's wrong? There's a leak in the water pipe in the basement. Let me see it. And he walks downstairs, sees the leak. Oh, I can fix that. I always like puttering around the house. That's why I have a complete set of tools. I'm going shopping now. Are you sure you can do a good job? Certainly. And he has a pipe wrench in his hand and he's working on the leak. Later. Hmm. Let me see. She must have put those things up in the attic. And we should point out that uh, the, it's dripping faster now. Right. And yes. He's apparently referring to his tools, even though he has his tools in the previous panel. But anyway, yes. he goes up to the attic, just as I thought. Here they are. And some time has passed. Some time has passed. <laughs> and <clears throat> Dexter, I'm home. Did you fix that leak? Nope. Oh, and we see the basement, and he's um, sitting in uh, like an inner tube thing, and he says, nope. But, we, but won't our neighbors envy us? We have the only indoor swimming pool on our block. Wah, 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 wah. And he's floating in the inner tube, and there's a beach ball and a, a horse, a floating horse. Floating horse, yes. With the washing machine in the background. And the wife is just standing there with question marks about all about her head. Once again, probably a lot funnier back in 1958. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then we have the Tomahawk story and an ad for Tootsie Pops again. Weird. Hey, Tootsie Pops are awesome. You you can't – how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Three. The world the world may never know. <laughs> the, only, the only pop in the world with a center of delicious Tootsie Roll. And don't, and don't forget f- to buy our delicious Tootsie Roll fudge, chocolate, or vanilla. Only one cent each. Yeah. See, folks, this is a, a, one of those days when pennies actually were had a good point to them. Right. Besides throwing at people. And it's also the time when Halloween was Halloween. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. On Halloween, when witches meet and green-eyed goblins roam the scene, though their cry is trick or treat, Tootsie Roll Pop is what they mean. Wow, really? That's a really bad rhyme. It's terrible. Speaking of pennies, though, someone – and it might have been you – someone recently posted on Facebook uh, an image of a penny that had been painted to look like Green Arrow. That was not me, but that sounds awesome. Abraham Lincoln, yeah. That is so cool. Uh, so next up is a public service ad for the United Nations. It's one of the ones that looks like a comic strip. Uh, I've talked about these before on the show. This one doesn't have any superheroes in it, so it's probably less interesting but it does it does have a guy that looks like Ronald Reagan, which is interesting. Yes, it does. And it's a true story from the files of the International Labor Organization. Mm, sure it is. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> we, we have a muscle-building ad. With, with Mickey, Mickey Mantle and Joe Lewis and Joe signing Lewis, it. Yeah. And Bob. Who's Bob? Bob Cousy? Of course. He's one of my friends. We'll go with Bob Cousy, basketball player. There's a text story called A Fortune Underfoot. I didn't read that because, you know, words. Yeah, there's no pictures. What's the point? Yeah, I know. Then we have the Green Arrow story and another Tootsie Roll ad. My gosh, they were really hawking those Tootsie uh, Rolls. <laughs> that, was the, that was where it was at, man. I guess. And then the uh, we have an ad for – what are these for? Seed. Postcards? They're not seed. Oh, no, they are postcards. Yep. Sell these popular patriotic and religious mottos. I guess it's like a little card 
with phrases on them like God bless our home and love, love one another. And, yes. Well, they're very religious, mm-hmm. actually. There's a prayer thing about the cross. Yeah, it's very religious, actually. All of them are – wow. Basically, you're supposed to sell, the, the, you buy them and then you sell them for more and then you get to keep money. It's a pyramid scheme for kids, basically. Yeah. If you sell 25, you keep $2.50. Yeah. Dude, that's – it can get you 25 comics if you don't count tax back in those days. Mm-hmm. If you sold so. 25. Well, yeah, if you got the a quarter each. Yeah, good point. Wait. Anyway, that's about the. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, we have an ad for Daisy Air Rifles. Hey, kids, buy guns. And... <laughs> Dad, read this decide yes on that Daisy Air Rifle or something. And then we have a ad for junk, one of the Wilson junk ads, you know, oh, yeah. whatever. And the back cover is another ad for Daisy Air Rifles. Fun shooting all year round. <laughs> it does say that, doesn't it? The most fun for your, the most fun for your money. Daisy Pump Gun. Number since, 18, since 1888, gun and equipment headquarters for young shooters. Anyway, <laughs> now it's time for one of my favorite parts of the show, and that's to head on over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com for our weekly trip in Rip Hunter's Time Machine. And there's a lot of books out, but I don't really see a whole lot worth bringing up. Do you see there's anything like, that jumps out at you? There's like five that are superheroes. Yeah, yeah. This is they're I mean, this all before, super. Wow. This was before the Flash, and well, Adventure Comics 255 has Superboy and Clark Kent get split into two people by Red Kryptonite, mm-hmm. and if I recall correctly, it's an evil Clark versus a good Superboy. Well, of course it is. Well, yeah. I think that was the plot of Superman 3 at one point. <laughs> uh, it was the whole time, I think. <laughs> uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 33, has a uh, rare and possibly only cover appearance by Professor Potter. Really? As Jimmy Olsen becomes the human flamethrower. Right out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Well, Flame where breath. El- where else would you like to uh, Just- blow fire out of? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Uh, but actually, Comics 247 has uh, Jonathan and Martha Kent show up in the present, or I guess, thanks to a time machine with lounge chairs. <laughs> Didn't that turn out to be um, criminals or something, trying to scam? Oh, it could be. I don't know. I, uh, this this would have to be before most of my time. Um yeah, it was all I've a scam. Read this because it's in the showcase volume, but I don't. You're right. It. Time machine was fake, and the kids were really cooks. 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 <laughs> they were chefs, and they were just trying to get recipes from the future. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's trying, to get, trying to get that rhubarb doesn't? pie recipe from Ma, I think. <laughs> uh, yes, they uh, they are, and then they want to. Ex- they're crooks extorting money from Superman, or they threaten to reveal his identity. How did they learn his identity? I'm going to have to go back and reread this story. Well, yeah, because obviously the Superman believed that they were really Jonathan and Martha Kent, and he probably just revealed it to them, obviously. Crazy. Mm. Um, I really don't see anything. We have the Blackhawk story we talked about. Um, Waka! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm having fun with that because I didn't know about that, and it's just really cool. It's going to become a new recurring 
theme on the show. It's yeah. Every, anytime I'm on, mm-hmm. uh, actually, Superboy '69 has a story about how Super uh, how Superboy learned to fly. And is that the balloon? Where's that at? Yes, that's one with the balloons. Okay. Now, oh, there the it cool is. the cool the thing is, is this is something that um, in Action Comics 500 it is referenced. Cool. In there, that Superboy learned to fly by having balloons tied to them and to his body and his arms, and then completely Pa's, safe. Well, yeah, and then Pa Kent had a had a rope attached to Superboy so that he could kind of help guide him as he learned to fly. So basically, he was flying Superboy like a kite. Yeah. Challenges of the Unknown number five has a Jack Kirby cover. That's all right. It actually looks more Jack Kirby-ish from what I can tell. Yeah, you, yeah, you can see a lot of like the Fantastic Four reference, or and Wally Woods inking it, so I'm sure it yeah. looks perfect. Yeah. I, I enjoy. I have the uh, the two showcase Challengers volumes, and the stories are really repetitive, but I kind of enjoy them. Huh. Even though Kirby's only on the first, I want to say like six issues, seven issues. I forgot. Really? Yeah. He, the way they make it sound, it sounds like it's one of the things he was on for a long time over at DC. Oh, oh eight issues looks like he was on the first eight issues. And this might be the Batman number one ninety might have something to do with like the introduction of the. Oh no, it's just the airborne Batman. It looks like Batman hurts his leg, so he spends a lot of time in those whirly bats. Of course he does. Yeah. Uh, who yeah would? I, I actually had the same thought that you were going towards there, that it might be the first appearance of the Whirly Bats, but it's not, because I Googled it uh, uh-huh. before the show started. But That sucks. But anyway. But it does have a cool Kurt Swan cover. so Nothing wrong with that. No, no. And Brave and the Bull, before, there was Bat- before Batman took over. And you can't go through the whole month without mentioning Peter Porkchops number 59. I was going to save that for my Peter Porkchops podcast. Uh, okay. Well, there's also Sergeant Bilko's Private Doberman. From from Farm to Skillet, the Peter Porkchops podcast. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> How many issues did Peter Porkchops go? Uh, don't, well, at least 59. Lord, 62 issues of Peter Porkchops. Now, the thing is, was it Peter Porkchops the whole time? Yes. Wow. Oh, and I get the gag because he's he's typing on a typewriter, and the thing just kind of flies off and knocks the wolf's ice cream off its cone. Ha ha! I see it. I see it. Anyway, <laughs> you see anything else on the list here? Uh, no. Sugar and Spike. Anyway, well, Charlie, before we wrap up, I want to take this as a chance to publicly thank you because a few weeks ago. Charlie sent me a huge box of comics, and better yet, he gave them to me absolutely free. Friends are good, but friends who give you free comics are even better. And, <laughs> and moreover, they, they plugged a lot of random holes in my collection and will provide me with hours of reading. So, Charlie, thank you very much. You're welcome, and, and thank you for uh, taking care of giving me some room for my baby. They, yeah, well, <laughs> that's important. Yes, yes, yes. So, you're welcome, but thank you also. Um, I, I guess it goes without saying it's been a lot of fun having you on the show here why don't you tell Yay. the folks where they can find you and your podcast okay well first of all thank you for having me on it has no been problem. fun being here um, my show is Superman in the Bronze Age where I systematically and by systematically I mean however I want go That's through the super- system 
however you want. It, it is. It works for your show. Um, go go through Superman's adventures in the Bronze Age from roughly late 1970 to mid. Uh, well, summer 1986. And I am currently ra- getting ready to wrap up the show because mm. with us having a baby, I'm not going to have much time to do the show on any kind of regular basis. But I am going out with a bang because this year I have been covering Marty Pasco's run on the Superman title. And I'm almost finished with that. And I might have a couple guests on before the show ends, Yay. including someone that is familiar with both Superman and Batman. Who could that be? I don't know. Mystery. Mystery is solved, much like where the Moon Man's horses went. Exactly. It's probably he. It's the guy that takes care of the horses, really. If you must know. Um, stable boy. <laughs> that would be a yes. good hero. Stable the boy. Stable boy. I am stable boy. <laughs> See, that could have been a Silver Age world's finest villain. Not really. No. Okay. No. <laughs> But definitely check out Superman in the Bronze Age, folks. And Charlie, congrats again on hitting 100 episodes. Oh, like thank I told you. you. It certainly is a milestone to be proud of, uh, and you should be proud of it. So, well, thank you. But that's it for me. Next episode, I'll be on my own again, but with more Superman oh. and Batman awesomeness. So, Charlie, thanks again. You're welcome. Thank you. To you folks out there in listener land, thank you for joining us as well. And I'll talk to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. You get to ride in a gold meteorite If you're not You get a mouth A mouthful Of bread listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman. Featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together.
episode's closing music was the B-52's There's a Moon in the Sky Called the Moon from their 1979 self-titled debut album. Yes, believe it or not, the B-52's had more songs than Love Shack. Tin Roof. Rusted. If you'd like to get this song or the album, the best way to do that is to head on over to TwoTrueFreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com banner. Pick up a CD, digital download, or pretty much anything else your heart desires, and Two True Freaks will get a little cut from every purchase. It won't cost you anything extra, but does help ensure a steady stream of fine Two True Freaks-related podcasts. Haka!